What's up, everybody? We had another pretty crazy week of college football. Some big upsets. Number two, Iowa goes down. How far did they end up falling in the rankings? And is it fair? We continue to see rankings done based off of opinion and not done off of resume. We'll get into that. And also, the LSU job is open. Ed Orgeron and LSU agreed that he will resign at the end of the year. He is not coming back. So now that job is wide open. Let's get into all of the action. What is going on, everybody? A lot of crazy stuff going on. The weekend was crazy. There were some upsets. There were a lot of exciting games, some big games. And then, they, well, the LSU-Florida game that's tied in here was crazy. We heard all the talk all week, really all year almost since that UCLA game, that LSU was on shaky terms with Ed O. The fan base was getting a little riled up there. Everyone was like, okay, well, as soon as Florida or as soon as LSU loses to Florida this week, probably they announce that they fire Coach O. But then we get this crazy, surprising, back and forth, awesome football game between Florida and LSU. LSU kept punching back. Offensively, they looked the best they've looked all year. Maybe not so much defensively. Florida scored a lot too. This game ends up being 48 42. LSU wins. And now you're thinking, okay, well, they pushed it off for a week. Maybe Coach O doesn't get fired this week. Well, yesterday, in the middle of the day, it's announced not that Coach O is fired immediately, but that he will not be coming back next year. Apparently, they had already started negotiations on some sort of exit strategy, and there's details of it. Basically, they're going to be pay him, paying him off all through 2025, maybe even more. I think it was like 750000 a year till they reaches buyout, and he will not be coming back in 2022. And there's a lot of interesting things to me that stand out with this decision. A couple things. One, basically, they had decided before this game that this was happening. Probably a few, I mean, if these negotiations started before this week, who knows? Like some people think these negotiations might have started a few weeks ago. So basically, LSU made this decision a while ago and a couple things are trying to avoid here. One, they don't want a less mile situation where let's say, especially after that win over Florida, LSU rallies, they go eight and four, or God forbid, right, nine and three, maybe they knock off Bama or something crazy. Then you can't really fire Coach O after, after bouncing back, right? USC had this same problem with Helton, which is why I said, if you're going to do it, do it early back when USC fired Helton. I thought that made sense because... At the end of the day, I don't agree with prolonging something that you're that you're going to do. If you know Coach O's going, you believe he's not the guy long term, then why wait? You know, at the same time, LSU is not in shambles. What I mean by that is, yes, they're having a bad season by their standard. Being three and four right now is not where LSU ever wants to be. Right, you combine that with they didn't have the best year last year. Okay, they're looking at it as like, hey, it's two years in a row. We gotta, we gotta get rid of this guy. I get it. Look, this is SEC. The thing is, is LSU is not in. For example, I'll go back to where Florida State was during their recent coaching struggles. Right, Florida State lost their coach to another job when Jimbo Fisher left in 2017. Willie Taggart comes in. And it's apparent pretty quickly into 2018 that this roster is not very good. There's some serious problems. Jimbo left the place a bigger mess than we thought. 
this guy is not going to be able to come in and just win, even though he said he was going to. Terrible season in 2018. You get into 2019, and it just keeps getting worse. No sign of anything being saved. Recruits bailing on you. You fire Willie Taggart after basically less than two years, right? And there was some controversy about that. Did they give him enough time? Did they do this? Did they do that? Well, I was a fan of making the move back then. Of course, you know, you fire a coach two years in, in the early signing period, that nukes your roster. So now Mike Norvell has come in, we're two years in, Florida State's not looking much better, but at least you know they're committed to a long-term rebuild with this guy. He's gonna get at least three or, or four years, and when you got rid of Tagger that early, you were basically admitting that that, that was re going to happen, right? That was in the wheelhouse, that this was a long-term rebuild, the problems were way worse. And that's another story. My point is, there was some controversy. Like, oh, did they give him enough time? We'll bring it back to this. You could say the same thing about Coach O. They're really firing him after only two years of not that good. The only difference between him and the situation I was comparing to is this guy's had good seasons. National championship two years ago, 2019, undefeated season, one of the best teams we've ever seen in college football. And the year before that, LSU's pretty good. They're a 10-3 team that wins the Fiesta Bowl. So he's had this program rolling. I don't, does that mean that if it starts trending backwards, that's even more reason to get rid of him? Where when you had a guy who started off bad and was built, like, again, I just don't understand why with Tagger, there was a little bit of controversy. Oh, did they give him enough time? With O, it's like, they're acting like this is normal. You haven't really heard anybody in media being like, oh, this is a bad decision. You know, like everybody seems to think it makes sense. And I and I think it makes sense too. But again, it's just the lack of consistency in different coaching scenarios is, is really interesting. Another thing why I bring up LSU not being in total shambles is you can get there. Trust me. Let me tell you, bringing up that Florida State situation again. And we've seen a lot of coaching situations where you are getting rid of a guy who's not taking you to where you think you should be you're you're okay though right you have talent you're you're losing a few more games than you should but you're not where you want to be so you, you just completely fire a guy without knowing who's coming in and we've seen that take programs to worse places tennessee and nebraska are prime examples right tennessee wanted to get back to national prominence they had fallen into kind of this eight and four phase so they finally get rid of philip fulmer and they've been playing coach roulette ever since and it's only gotten worse right and we've seen how bad tennessee has been in some of those stretches but then Butch Jones came in, like, kind of got him back. There was one year they were ranked, like, playing okay. Still, it, maybe they got back to 8-4 and four a couple times during that stretch. Never come close to that championship caliber that they wish they were at. That hasn't happened. And it's really just been worse, right? I think you look back and, like, maybe keeping Philip Fulmer would have been better long-term versus what happened after. Same thing could be said about Nebraska, right? They get rid of Bull Pelini because... He basically just kept going about eight and four. Nebraska's like, we're Nebraska. We should be playing for championships. Well, that ended up being a terrible move because since then they've just fallen even more off the map and are nowhere close to being a program that can compete for a division championship, let alone a conference or national championship or anything of the sort. So these decisions can be interesting. I'm all, I've always been an advocate that Look, if a program is in the tank, right, like Florida State was with Taggart, there was no sign that guy had any idea what he was doing. You get rid of him. Now, when you're one of these programs, like, for example, here's a program that did this correctly. Texas A&M didn't like the Kevin Sumlin kind of going seven and five, eight and four ceiling type years. Yeah, he, he got them with Manziel into some New Year's six games. But since then, he hadn't been doing it. They wanted to get rid of him because they consider themselves a national championship program. I don't know why, but that's where AM wants to go. They're ambitious, right? Now, they didn't get rid of Sumlin until they knew they had their next guy locked in the bag. That guy was Jimbo, right? Jimbo was having a bad year at Florida State that year. And knowing what we know now, we realized they had been negotiating all September, all October. Basically, Jimbo was ready to bounce Florida State. And AM got rid of their, you know, that eight and four guy that isn't quite getting you there. They got rid of him knowing they had what they thought a, be a better guy was coming in. It wasn't a situation of this guy's so bad, we just have to get rid of him. Because like, like I'm trying to say, 
I don't agree with just bouncing a guy if you don't have a replacement lined up unless it is an absolute disaster. Now, I think for LSU fans, this is an absolute disaster. They think they're on par with how Florida State was with Taggart, how we've seen, you know, Florida with Muschamp. Like, I don't think it's that bad at LSU because I don't really count last year, okay? So I'm looking at LSU sitting here right now at four and three. And yeah, that's not acceptable. And of course, they're probably going to lose another game or two this year. But I think if LSU went seven and five this year with the talent on the roster, you know, maybe they, but again, I bring up talent on the roster. I think that's the problem for some people because composite rankings, this LSU team should be number five. That, that's where they rank as far as how talented the roster is based on different metrics and how highly recruited most of these players were. So from that standpoint, right, I think people are saying that means Coach O is terrible because a good coach should have this team, you know, at least go in 10-2 and two this year or something like that. So I, I'm not taking any side of the argument. All I am saying is it does seem like a situation where it would be dangerous to get rid of your coach without having someone you feel really confident in coming in. Now, I will say this. I would be paying really attention to this Jimbo Fisher thing. I talked about this on the last episode. Normally, I would say, no, Jimbo Fisher's not going from A&M to LSU, but LSU is the one program Jimbo will always have an eye on, that he will always check up on. It's like that weird ex-girlfriend that you got rid of, right? But you're always kind of checking in on, like, maybe I go back there, right? LSU is that for Jimbo Fisher. He's always had a huge attraction to the program. And I don't know, if, if A&M were to fall apart this year, if they go lose a couple more games, then I'd really be wondering. But you would got to think like, you know, Jimbo finally beat Saban. If they go, you know, win out, finish 10-2 and two or 9-3 and three or something, like, I don't know. What situation does Jimbo want more? Either way, this LSU coaching search is going to be crazy, right? I, I would keep an eye on the Jimbo Fisher thing only because of that weird Jimbo Fisher LSU thing. I can see Jimbo doing that, maybe. Normally, I think it would be crazy, right? I don't think Jimbo would leave A&M for anywhere except maybe LSU. But this coaching search is going to be crazy. I already talked last week, right, about how USC is open. I argued that that's actually the better job in a lot of ways. You can go listen to Thursday's episode or Friday's episode to, under, to understand why. I'm not going to go over that again, but here's the thing. LSU is going to be competing against USC for the guy they hire because those are the two huge jobs open right now. Now, some of the other popular candidates for LSU that we're hearing is one of them is James Franklin. Now, James Franklin is a super interesting guy this year to me because one he's got a good team at penn state penn state considers themselves to be a big college football brand whiteouts at penn state right if you ask penn state people are you and lsu the same lsu people probably don't think so but penn state people are like yeah we are we are a huge big 10 power and we believe we should be competing for Big Ten and national championships and we've got franklin and he's recruiting well well penn state needs to prove it this year and not let Franklin go. They need to pay Franklin whatever it takes to keep him away from USC and LSU. And I think that's going to come in forms other than just money to Franklin specifically. They need to say, hey, we will fork out all the things that those schools would fork out. And when it comes to facilities, when it comes to any anything that he needs, money for a staff, for assistant coaches, for recruiting trips, for consulting, NIL stuff, all that stuff. Penn State needs to get on board because if if they let LSU or USC take their coach, they are admitting out loud, yeah, we're not quite the football school that some of those top five brands are. We're, we're right under them. And that's fine, but then you can't be mad when you lose to Ohio State every year and you can't be mad if you don't ever make a college football playoff because you're not trying to be that team if you let James Franklin go. So there's the whole Penn State getting involved in the Penn, in the James Franklin trio thing because Penn State should absolutely want to keep Franklin unless they're out of their freaking minds. We'll see. I think Franklin's a better fit at USC than LSU. 
LSU is a little more desperate and acting crazy right now. They're going to throw unbelievable amounts of money at whoever they try to hire, especially if it's like a Fisher or James Franklin. But then James Franklin, like Fisher, is at a really good situation right now that he might not want to leave. So, and if he does, he's got another school that's probably coming after him in USC, and he's going to be leveraging all three of these schools into the best raise, the best situation. So Franklin's going to end up good. If he stays at Penn State, it's going to be because Penn State is giving him what he thinks he needs to win a national championship, to win a Big Ten title. If he goes to USC, it's because he thinks that's the place and they're ready to make that full commitment finally (laughs) for football again. And if it's LSU, it's because they've probably just forked out the cash and you know LSU is going to fork out everything else that that they need. So Franklin's making this battle really fun. Another name that's interesting that you keep seeing come up is Lane Kiffin. Like, is Lane Kiffin going to bounce from Ole Miss after two years and stay in the division and go to LSU? We saw that the Tennessee Ole Miss game this week, right? That was crazy. Lane coming back to Tennessee for the first time. The fans freaking hate him. That game got wild at the end with Tennessee fans going nuts, throwing shit all over the field. It it was a mess. Honestly, I've never seen anything like that. It's been a long time, at least 10 years since I've seen fans get that crazy with throwing stuff on the field. And although I never, you know, you never are okay with that, you don't want to see that, all the other times I've seen that in the past, it was a lot more warranted. I remember there was a famous situation, I think in the early 2000s, this happened at a Cleveland Browns game. And what happened was there was like a questionable spot or fumble or some sort of play that could have been reviewed. Then another play took place. And then the ref said, we're actually going to go review the play before, which you're not allowed. Everybody knows. Like once a, the ball is snapped and, a, and another play takes place, you can't go back and review plays from earlier in the game. And they they did that in this game, and I, then it might have overturned it. Anyway, Cleveland got screwed. I don't remember all the details, but I remember it being a lot worse than what happened in Tennessee. Just they had to like end the game. Refs are running off the field covering their heads. And that's the last time I remember seeing something this crazy. And, and it's happened since then in other situations but in this scenario like it wasn't even a bad call like Tennessee was ruled short of a first down I actually thought oh the guy did get the first down but after the review it was obvious where the ball was he was just short of the first down and Tennessee fans went crazy which has me thinking that it wasn't that call specifically it was the hatred for Lane Kiffin the frustration of not being back, you know, they probably thought they had that game. They were playing well, but they come up short and whatever reason, they just lose it, throw stuff. That game was crazy. My point being, because I don't want to spend too much on that game, can you imagine, like, this SEC coaches, right? I mean, we see how LSU reacts whenever Saban comes back in. They're bitter about that, right? Imagine if Jimbo or... Lane Kiffin end up at LSU where they're playing their former school every year, it would just, the drama's crazy, right? Like, forget soap operas, forget reality TV, we got college football. It's better and more crazy and more drama-filled than all of that stuff, right? I don't know why there's there should be more of that, you know, housewife audience for college football, right? This is better than the Netflix show. There's real-life drama here. That's crazy. <laughs> right? Other names being thrown around, right? Luke Fickle. I think it's a very hard sell to get Luke Fickle out of Ohio and down to LSU. Remember, this guy's been a head coach before in that interim year at Ohio State. He understands a little bit what that is like. He's an Ohio guy also. This guy played at Ohio State, coached at Ohio State. Now he's still in the state of Ohio, running Cincinnati, building a good program there. And I don't think he's just trying to jump up to the next power five job you know i think if anything he might wait around for ohio state to come open whenever that happens again i can see him taking that job but i don't know if luke fickle uproots his family from their home state and goes down to louisiana to deal with all the pressure that comes with being the lsu head coach i just don't know if he's that guy um joe brady you're hearing a lot right because joe brady was the passing game coordinator with burrow and all those guys but I would push back against that a little bit for a couple reasons. Let me explain. So rightfully, we say, hey, Coach O, when he won the national title, he got really lucky with having Joe Burrow, having Joe Brady, 
And that was the recipe that led that offense to be so successful. And there's a lot of truth to that. I think you can say the same thing, though, about Burrow and Brady, right? Joe Brady was there. Is he a legend? I don't know. He's obviously a great offensive-minded coach. I don't, I'm not saying that he's not talented. What I'm saying is he fell into some luck that season as well. He had Joe Burrow and those excellent LSU receivers, right? Which were put together by Coach O, okay? Joe Burrow wouldn't have got a shot at LSU without Coach O. And Coach O is the guy that has to help bring in offensive coordinators that brought in Joe Brady. So just because Brady was part of that magical recipe that year, Coach O was also part of that magical recipe. You can't take all the credit away from Coach O and said he had nothing to do with that national championship run. He was at least one-third of that three-recipe trio, right, between Coach O, Joe Brady, and Joe Burrow. So if Joe Brady comes in and is a head coach, a very young guy, a head coach of LSU, does that just mean we're going back to 2019 LSU? No, I don't know if there's anything that proves he would come in and be an instant success. He might be awesome. He might be a home run. He might be the next Urban Meyer type young coach coming up, or he could be a totally average guy. And if he is average, that's not good enough at LSU right? The only other name I'm hearing right now is Billy Napier. Again, these group of five coaches that have success are never guarantees, right? Most of them, I would say, fail. I went through this list before, right? Between the Tom Hermans, Willie Taggarts. We see a lot of these guys come out of the group of five. Yeah, maybe you got the, an Urban Meyer who, right, came out of the group of five and was incredible, but there's a lot of examples of guys coming out of the group of five and just not getting it done at these power five schools. So it's a crazy decision. It's a crazy time. I think if you're LSU, you're going crazy for Jimbo and Franklin, but it's going to be really hard to get one of those guys for different reasons. Jimbo, because he's in a really good situation with a shit ton of money that he's getting paid at A&M. And then there is the whole thing. It's not as simple as, oh, LSU, give me money. I go there. Like there is drama involved, right? And unlike Lane Kiffin, Jimbo, I don't think is really into a lot of that drama stuff, you know? So we'll see. You know, when you go from Florida State to AM, you're, you're you, there's a lot of drama. You're, you're rubbing people the wrong way, but you're leaving the ACC. You're leaving that. You go to AM now, right? You jump from one SEC West team to the other. I mean, it follows you everywhere. Every media coverage at SEC days, all those things. You're going to play that team every year. Yeah, that's just, there, there's a difference there. And then Franklin, we talked about the challenges with him. So it is very interesting with LSU being open. What does this do to recruiting? Does I know as a Florida State fan, I've been interested in if LSU had a bad year this year, there's some recruits on that team that we want, some guys that are committed. Are guys going to stay committed to LSU for the rest of this year? Or is the whole thing going to be open? And how soon does LSU get this guy named? Because here's the thing. The two guys you want, Franklin Jimbo, even Lane Kiffin, Luke Fickle, crap, even Billy Napier. Brady's obviously in the NFL. All those guys have current seasons going on this year and are doing well. You think Luke Fickle is going to abandon possibly making a college football playoff? No, he's coaching his team through the end of the season. Franklin, Penn State's in a really good spot. You know, maybe they lose two more games. Okay, they don't have much to play for, but Penn State could easily be a playoff team this year. At the very least, they're competing for the Big Ten. They're right in the thick of that thing. So he's probably not leaving Penn State early, I wouldn't think, whether it's USC or LSU, right? Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss is a one-loss team. Technically, they're still alive right now. Who knows how this SEC West thing is going to shape out? Ole Miss beats A&M, Alabama loses another game, then Ole Miss is first place in the West. So there's so many crazy things that can happen here. Lane Kiffin, I don't know. So it, it gets really dicey, but as we've seen with this early signing period, you don't have a coach before you know December, you're going to miss out on that signing period, and that can be devastating for rosters, as we've seen. A lot of players transfer out when a new coach is coming in, too. So 
LSU should be worried. Now, they can come out of this in a really good position. They get the right coach. They get the right coach early enough to salvage a recruiting class. We'll see. But, and the same thing can be said about USC. I talked about when Clay Hillen got fired, I was really excited. When big coaching changes happen at big programs, it's very interesting, very exciting. Where are all the chess pieces going to fall? So, we'll be watching this really closely for the rest of the season. But anyway, let's get into some talk about the actual season, what happened. So the biggest story from this weekend, obviously, was number two, Iowa, going down. And there's so many different storylines and places I want to jump about this game. For a lot of people, and deep down, I was probably one of these people. For a lot of people, this was a game that you knew was coming at some point for Iowa this year. Iowa's offense is just not good. It's, it's just not good. Iowa plays a strategy of football that really relies on defense, turning you over, giving that offense short fields, running the clock, getting a, sh- a small lead, turning that three-point lead into a 10-point lead, into a 17-point lead, and kind of suffocating you that way, forcing you into pa- um, obvious passing downs, taking advantage of that, and... If you're winning, you know, there's nothing. I don't blame any strategy. Some are harder than others. And for Iowa, this strategy, you just felt like, okay, especially given the fact that Iowa's not up there with composite ranking rosters like Ohio State, like Alabama, like Georgia, you know, you just thought, hey, if the ball doesn't go their way one Saturday, they could lose. And on this day to Purdue, that's exactly what happened. Purdue actually did to Iowa what Iowa does to everyone else. Purdue turned Iowa over, I think, four times. They took the, sh- the lead, a short touchdown lead, turned it into a 10-point lead, and then put Iowa in these obvious passing downs that they could not convert on, and they win the game 27-7. So it, a lot of people are looking at Iowa as exposed here, and I think, again, we're gonna. I'm gonna immediately jump into rankings here because Iowa, who is number two, falls to number eleven, and I actually don't have a problem with where Iowa specifically fell to. It's some of the teams that haven't joined them in that area that don't make sense to me, right? Because again, I think we're ranking way too much based off of opinion and how good we think a team actually is versus where they should be right now. Like, we don't predict the future when doing rankings. At least that's not how I've ever believed it should be done. Now, I completely understand if somebody is saying, look, my prediction for the end of the season is that Oklahoma, or sorry, not Oklahoma, Ohio State and Alabama come out on top in their divisions. That makes a lot of sense, right? If you're a betting man, there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful for that scenario playing out. I can easily say, look, Ohio State, since the loss, they're playing better. When I look at Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, I actually think Ohio State's the more talented team. I think they're going to go to the to the Big Ten Championship, probably 11-1. and They're going to win that game 12-1. and They're going to be a playoff team. When I look at Alabama, I think, you know, they bounce back from their loss. They went out. I even think they might beat Georgia. And they'll go to the playoff at 12-1 and SEC champs. There's nothing wrong with that prediction. It, it actually is something that maybe more people agree with than disagree with. But because of that opinion, does Alabama really deserve to be ranked fourth right now? I don't see why Alabama deserves to be ranked fourth and Iowa deserves to be 11. Because with Iowa, they were never getting credit, right? It was like people were waiting for them to lose. And like, okay, we can't wait for this team to lose, and then we can forget about them, right? When Iowa loses, it's over. When Alabama loses, it's like they barely go anywhere. And again, when you're predicting the future, it makes sense to have that prediction. Iowa does seem like more like a team that you saw this coming. Now you think they might lose another one. They're just out of it, right? Where Alabama, you know, based on history, they lose one of these games, they bounce back, they could still go win a national title. I'm not disagreeing with that at all, right? Alabama plays Iowa today. I'm betting on Bama. Bama plays a lot of these teams in the top 10. I'm betting on Bama. I bet on Bama to beat Oklahoma, probably Cincy, maybe even Georgia. 
That fact alone does not determine to me where I'm ranking Alabama right now. I'm ranking Alabama probably above Iowa, maybe above Oregon, but below Penn State, below Ohio State, maybe, right? Like, at the end of the day, what has Ohio State done to be ranked ahead of Michigan? I mean, seriously, are any of Ohio State's wins better than any of Michigan's wins, right? Because in the AP poll, Alabama got all the way to four, Ohio State's five, Michigan's six, okay? Now, I think you maybe could make the case that Alabama above Ohio State, right? You got two one-loss teams there. Alabama has beaten Ole Miss, who right now is ranked 12th. See, again, there's a whole bunch of stake being put into, well, this team has beaten this many ranked teams. I think I saw something like Georgia's beaten five ranked teams this year. If you're someone who cares about where someone was ranked when you played them, get get out of here. I mean, that is ridiculous. We all know that doesn't matter that much. The way I'm looking at it, Georgia's 7-0. They have some good wins. Their best win is over a 19th ranked Auburn team and maybe an Arkansas now who's not ranked, but the three-loss Arkansas team and a two-loss Clemson team. You don't really see any other ranked, currently ranked teams on there except for Kentucky. Where did Kentucky fall, by the way? 15th. So Georgia has some great wins. Those wins are over the 19th ranked team currently and the 15th ranked team currently. And when we get to the end of the season and everybody's played their 12 games and you say I've beaten ranked teams, it's current ranked teams. And that's the most accurate description because teams have completed their seasons. We know, oh, that Auburn team you beat that at the time maybe was ranked this or that team you beat over there that at the time didn't look like a good win is now a really good win. See, that's the problem. We do this thing where Georgia beats Clemson week one. We're going to always act like that's a great win for them, even though Clemson might turn into some 7-5 and five team this year. Well, then that win is kind of irrelevant. That's no different than when Georgia beats Missouri at that point, right? Contrast that with sometimes teams will go get these wins and we don't consider them good wins until later. Or But, but, but we never do that a lot. We forget about them. When you should get, when a team that you beat ends up having a really good season down the stretch, it was just unexpected, that means a lot right? So we got to keep that in mind, right? Mississippi State is looking better because NC State is a 5-1 team that's also being Clemson. Well, NC State beat them. Or sorry, Mississippi State beat them. So that's looking better. for the, like These things matter. They all have to be taken into consideration. And that's what I'm saying. So if you compare Alabama to Ohio State, I would say Alabama has a, a little bit better wins than Ohio State. They have slightly a better loss. Maybe. The loss might be even because Alabama's loss was on the road in a tough environment where Ohio State lost at home. Ohio State did lose to a team that I think should be ranked ahead of A&M, right? Oregon at 5-1 and one versus Texas A&M. Texas A&M has a better win than Oregon, I guess, beating Bama, but Oregon beat Ohio State. Those are two really good wins. Oregon only has one kind of bad loss, but it's to a Stanford team that's, you know, we talked about Stanford. They're okay. Where AM lost to Mississippi State, AM lost to Arkansas, who now is three loss Arkansas. So, yeah, the, uh, until the, the Alabama game, AM just looked ridiculous. Since the Alabama game, they looked good again. They just beat Missouri. So, you can see that. But, Penn State, they should be ahead of Ohio State, I think, in the Big Ten. Their loss was way better than Ohio State's loss. Losing at Iowa, who's a 6-1 team ranked 11th right now, is a better loss than at home to number 10, 5-1 Oregon right now. Also, Penn State has beaten Auburn, who's currently 5-2 and and number 19 right now. So... Penn State, to me, clearly should be the the highest-ranked one-loss team. And I don't understand why we have these undefeated Power 5 teams, right? It's not September. 
where you got some 4-0 teams and Alabama's already lost you know, a good game but also has a big win. No, we're talking about an Alabama team that has one decent win against Ole Miss. Now, they were dominant in that win. I'm not trying to take away credit from that. But Oklahoma State is 6-0 in a Power 5 conference. Michigan State is 7-0. Michigan is 6-0. Wake Forest is 6-0. Okay? ACC is not great. And I'm not necessarily saying Wake Forest should be above Alabama, but I think they should be a lot higher than 16. Maybe. I mean, you got one loss Kentucky, one loss Notre Dame, one loss Ole Miss, all ahead of Wake Forest. I mean, that makes sense. But the main point in this whole thing is that the rankings should be a lot more based on what you've done so far. And look, if Alabama is going to end up back in the title game, it doesn't matter if they're ranked 4th right now or if they're ranked 12th right now. They went out, you climb those things, right? Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, they're all going to play each other. That stuff's going to play out. But I don't understand why we don't have, why can't Michigan be number 4 behind Oklahoma? Oklahoma's 7-0. and The Texas win's pretty good. They looked a little, now that they've made the quarterback change, they look good against TCU. But Basically, every game that Oklahoma's played has been close. How can we really say that Oklahoma is a clear-cut, obvious, you know, number three, top two, three, four team, but Michigan has to be under two teams that have lost in Alabama and Ohio State? Oklahoma State also beat Texas, and they shut Texas down way better than Oklahoma did. So why aren't they there? Why aren't they up there? I think you could make an easy argument that it should be Georgia, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, right, right, one, two, three, something in there. Then have Michigan, Oklahoma State, Michigan State. Then get into your one-loss teams where I think you would have to go Penn State, Alabama, Oregon with the head-to-head of Ohio State, then Ohio State, then Iowa, then Ole Miss, Notre Dame, right down the line there. Kentucky, have Wake Forest somewhere in there. Right? I mean, these these are things that you have to consider. Now, who knows what the playoff committee is going to come out and do, but it, it matters a lot more when they do it, right? Because if Alabama's already at number four, then it almost gives you the notion that, like, well, that means Michigan could... Michigan's already undefeated and behind Alabama. So if Alabama wins out with the one loss and Michigan wins out with no losses, does Alabama stay ahead of them? That that's what doesn't make sense to me. If if the the final solution in that scenario is that Michigan would jump Alabama, which let's face it, a 12-0, 13-0 undefeated Michigan team is going to go ahead of 12-1 Alabama, especially with the wins they would have, then why don't we just have that that way now? And if Michigan loses, they'll drop below Bama. If Alabama continues to win, they, they would take that spot anyway. So it's just a weird precedent to set, right? I just don't like that Alabama's ranked that high when the only reason is we just think they're better. Now, if Alabama had like two top 15 wins and the their loss wasn't that bad, if, if A&M was also only had one loss and was like a lot closer to a top 10 team than they've looked all year, then maybe we you know you can bring those arguments in it. But at the end of the day, all you can really say right now is, well, I think Alabama is more talented and I would pick them to beat Michigan, which I'll be honest, I would too. But if that's the only reason to have them ranked over an undefeated Michigan team, then I'm not I'm not a fan of that. I I think you just got to go with, especially with Power 5 teams, who's undefeated. And compare some wins, compare some losses, but I don't know. I'm just not feeling Alabama at 4. I don't think they deserve to be there right now. Even if I think they are one of the four best teams right now, I think that loss mattered. Losses have to matter. What happens on the field has to matter. And when you see Alabama being ranked number four right now, when you've got one, two, three, four undefeated teams in the Power Five ranked behind them, eh, that's just it's a little weird right? And they're the highest ranked one loss team. I don't even think that should be the case. I think Penn State should be ahead of them. And Iowa's loss 
look look at look at the Iowa Alabama scenario, right? Here's here's a really good comparison. Iowa and Alabama on paper are basically the same, right? They were a top two, top three team, was winning their games, was playing well, and then they lost to a conference, division conference opponent that was already two losses, okay? And then that team is ranked after. So remember, when Alabama lost to A&M, A&M was not ranked. A&M got ranked after that win. Purdue is now ranked. Purdue was a 3-2 and two team, just like A&M was when they played Bama. Now Purdue's a, a ranked 4-2 and two team. Okay, so the again, the only main difference in Alabama's loss and in Iowa's loss is you're saying, it's, it's basically the SEC bias thing, right? Well, I think A&M is better than Purdue. It was on the road. And I think Alabama's way better than Iowa. Again, those things can be true, but in sports, results on the field have to matter. And if you're going to call it the Power Five and say that you're all playing in one league, you have to treat wins and losses fairly evenly. So I don't have a problem with Iowa falling to 11 at 6-1. and one. But why does Alabama get to stay at number four at 6-1? and one? They both lost to very similar opponents right? Alabama's game was, I'm not completely comparing them. I think Alabama could be ahead of Iowa, no doubt, right? And this is where I don't mind getting into it. If you're comparing Iowa and Alabama, of course Alabama should be ahead of Iowa because if you really break it down the resumes, Alabama has, well, I don't know. Iowa does have the best win in Penn State. Penn State's currently in the top 10. Alabama's best win is Ole Miss, who's currently just outside the top 10. But two very good wins, Alabama won at home. Iowa won't beat Penn State at home. Okay, but then here's the thing. Alabama lost on the road to AM in a crazy environment. It was very close. They only lost by a field goal, where Iowa basically got beat down by Purdue at home. So when comparing those two, you don't even need to get into the fact that Alabama's better than Iowa. Just based on resume and what they've accomplished, Alabama deserves to be ahead of Iowa. And maybe even Oregon. Maybe even Ohio State, but but not Penn State, right? When you start to compare Penn State and Alabama, those arguments kind of start to fold a little bit. And, and I don't know, and I'm kind of kicking myself too for getting so caught up in these rankings. This is the AP poll, which is irrelevant now. And I think because it's relevant, that's why you've seen it trend more towards this opinion thing. I think the AP poll used to be a lot more similar to like what I'm talking about, what I think would make sense seeing happening where you kind of had undefeated teams above, right? The BCS worked that way too with the points and then combining the AP with the computer rankings to come up with the BCS formula. When when the AP and the BCS was the thing deciding who went to the championship, it was a lot more that way because people felt a sense of like, hey, what, I'm going to say Michigan 6-0 right now shouldn't be ahead of Alabama? Like... That's crazy, right? Where now that the onus isn't on them to decide the championship scenario, to decide the playoff teams, there's a committee that does that. I think the AP voters just have a lot more fun with it. Like, well, you know, like, and everybody votes in a different ways. Some people vote, like I said, predicting who they think's actually going to get there. And they make the rankings like that. Some people are all about resume right now. And you have all these, all these combinations that result in the poll that we get. And none of that really matters because the playoff committee is going to come in. The thing is, is their votes do matter. And the problem is, is they, from the get-go, have never been consistent. And some years they're talking about a resume making this one-loss team better than all these undefeated teams. And some years they're talking about head-to-head matchups and conference championships. And they're just never consistent. And I think that's what college football needs. Whether it's 14 playoff, a two-team BCS scenario, or a 12-team playoff expansion, we need some sort of structure. The subjective, all these teams put their little thing in a hat and a committee decides who they think is better. Wins and losses aren't examined as much. Like that's that To me, that's not good for the sport. We need to get away from that. Now, there are some very interesting conference races. To me, all the conference races are still interesting, right? If you start in the ACC, the ACC Atlantic, you basically got three teams that are all alive for it. You got 
Wake Forest, who's 6-0, 4-0 in conference. NC State, who's 5-1 overall, ranked number 18. They're 2-0 in the conference. Then you got Clemson, who's 4-2 overall, 3-1 in the conference. One of those three teams is probably going to win the Atlantic, right? Clemson's still a favorite for a lot of people. But Clemson has a huge game this week with Pitt because you go down to the Coastal Division and you got 5-1 Pitt, who's 2-0 in the conference. The next best team nationally is probably Virginia, maybe Virginia Tech. But Virginia's 5-2, but 3-2, already two conference losses. Right, North Carolina's fallen apart, 3-3 three three in the conference. Miami, 0-2 in the conference, 2-4 overall. And Virginia Tech, who was looking strong there, now they've fallen to 1-1 one one in the conference, 3-3 three three overall. But at the top of the ACC, there's still some interesting races. A pit, to me, is very good. Kenny Pickett should be in the Heisman conversation. And they've got the best receiver in the ACC in Addison. And him and Pickett are a fun combination to watch. This is a pretty good pit team. If this pit team didn't drop that stupid game to Western Michigan, they'd be undefeated right now. And we'd be talking about a potential playoff crasher in Pitt. Um, and technically, who knows? You know, if Pitt runs the table, 12-1 and ACC champions tend to make the college football playoff. They'd have a good argument. They'd probably have the worst loss of a lot of the teams being compared. But who knows? They play a, a ranked Wake Forest or a ranked NC State in the conference championship game. Anything could happen. Now, we have still not seen Wake and NC State play. We still haven't seen Wake and Clemson play. NC State has beaten Clemson. Those three at the top of the Atlantic, I mean, that's what that division is going to come down to. And we still have the opportunity to have a big-time ACC championship game. People have written off the ACC because Clemson's fallen off. But, guys, it's, it's October. It's late October. And you have an undefeated team in the ACC Atlantic. Again, People predict, and they don't see Wake Forest going 12-0. They don't see that happening. So naturally, Wake Forest you know, is ranked down there at 16 right now. But it could happen. Clemson doesn't scare me at all. I would be picking Pitt this week against Clemson. Clemson's gotten lucky in some of their recent wins. They just do not have it together this year. I don't think there's anything wrong with Clemson as a program. I think next year they'll be back. But right now, the pieces just aren't falling well for Clemson. NC State is 5-1. I don't know how strong they can be, but I, I'm, I think that's a tougher game for Wake than Clemson right now, as crazy as that is to say. That game's going to decide the division. So will Clemson and Wake in a way, right? But Clemson doesn't have the head-to-head over NC State, so NC State's got to lose twice for Clemson to get back in it. Conference losses, right? So... It's really interesting. And then if Pitt pulls off this thing where they could easily get to the conference championship game with just this one loss, even if they drop another game, yeah, that would probably put them out of the playoff. But we could still have a top 10, top 15 ACC championship game. And even if the winner doesn't go to the playoff, to me, that's exciting. I mean, that's that's college football. These teams competing for these big seasons. The winner of that's going to go to the Orange Bowl. That's going to be a phenomenal season. NC State, Wake Forest, or Pitt. If any one of those teams finishes 10-2, and two, even 9-3, and three, goes to the Orange Bowl. I mean, that's a phenomenal season for those programs. That would be really exciting to see. Pac-12, to me, still pretty interesting. Now, Arizona State lost. So we are losing the potential for the Pac-12 championship game to be an automatic playoff qualifier because now the only team that realistically looks like they have a playoff shot still alive is Oregon. They're 5-1. and one. They would have to win out and win the conference championship game in order to be a playoff team. But the South is very interesting in the Pac-12 because you've got three teams that are all 5-2 and two and 4-2. and two. Utah's 4-2. and two, Arizona State and UCLA are 5-2. and two. Now, in conference, Utah has the lead on the two other teams. Utah has beaten Arizona State. So the Utah-UCLA game is going to potentially set up for the three-way tie. Arizona State has beaten UCLA. If UCLA beats Utah, number one, it's going to make the South look really strong if all of those teams went out after this tie scenario and you basically have 
three 10-2 teams at the top of your division. That is very impressive. That also sets up good for Oregon because that means whoever comes out of that at 10-2 is going to be ranked. And if Oregon's trying to get back into the playoff hunt, they come into that game with one loss. It's going to be very similar to the 2019 Pac-12 championship. In that scenario, Oregon was the two-loss team. Utah was the one-loss team with a chance to go to the playoff had they won, but Utah wins that game. So either way, you would have at least one team alive for a playoff, another team that's 10-2 and two potentially. That's a Pac-12 championship game I want to see. Now, even if Oregon drops another game, that's going to take them out of the Pac-12 or sorry, out of the playoff hunt with two losses, but the Pac-12 race would still be exciting, and you could still have a 10-2 Oregon versus a 10-2 Utah, ASU, maybe UCLA, probably not UCLA, Oregon and UCLA have to play this week, actually, So, which is, is exciting, right? UCLA still has a chance to win the South, but they got to beat Oregon so that they don't fall to two conference losses before they play Utah. That way, if they beat Utah, they actually have that head-to-head over them in the tiebreaker. And we could be setting up for this crazy three-way tie. But either way, it's going to be exciting, okay? Let's jump down to the SEC, where there are some crazy scenarios alive in the SEC. Now, Georgia beat Kentucky. They've pretty much locked up the East. Insane chaos would have to happen and unbelievable upsets for them to not win the division, right? Technically, even if Georgia goes and loses to Florida... Florida has three conference losses already. They would, there's no way. Kentucky, the only way Georgia loses the division in the SEC East is if Kentucky wins out and Georgia loses twice. Probably not going to happen. So Georgia's most likely going to the SEC Championship game, either undefeated or maybe they drop one, but they're going into the SEC Championship game with most likely a, a complete shot to control their own destiny and go to the college football playoff with a win, right? Because basically Georgia has a mulligan now. They could win one, lose one of these games. As long as they get to that conference championship game with one loss, they're fine. Now, the West actually is really, really interesting to me. Because at the top of the West, you've got Alabama, who's number four in the country. They're six and one, three and one in conference. Ole Miss is sitting there, two and one, five and one overall, right? Auburn, when it comes to conference, is only is two and one, and Texas A&M is two and two, right? Texas A&M still has to play Auburn and Ole Miss. If they win those games, they will put themselves in second place behind Bama. And then if Bama were to lose another game, let's say Bama loses to Auburn at the end of the season or something, maybe Arkansas, not likely. I mean, I still think Alabama's better than everyone they're going to be playing. They've already beaten Ole Miss. I don't see LSU beating Bama most likely, unless these players really just want to send Coach O out with a bang. (laughs) But there could be a crazy scenario where... Alabama does get up. I mean, we've seen it happen in these Iron Bowls. We've seen some crazy LSU-Alabama games before. It's not impossible. And can you imagine a scenario where Alabama loses again? Therefore, and assuming A&M is able to win out, which also would take a lot on their part, they could easily lose an LSU game. They could lose the Auburn game, the Ole Miss game, right? A&M's got some tough games coming up, but let's say A&M wins out. They go 10-2. and two. They're headed to Atlanta because of another Alabama loss. Now, just imagine if for some reason, this is unlikely, but imagine if for some reason Georgia drops a game before the SEC Championship game, right? They, they know they got this thing locked up. Maybe Dan Mullen coaches his butt off, and they get that useless win over Georgia. So Georgia goes in Atlanta with one loss. All of a sudden, not only are we getting the matchup I wanted, I wanted to see Jimbo Fisher, Kirby Smart in the SEC Championship game. Jimbo would be playing not only to knock Georgia out of the playoff, but probably to knock the SEC out of the playoff. Because a two-loss team is not making the playoff. Now, if a two-loss team was going to make the playoff, it probably would be an SEC team. But they would need help, right? They would no longer control their own destiny because you would need a lot of the other conference champions to also have two losses and you would need chaos, right? You probably need Cincinnati to lose. Like there's a lot of things that 
would have to go your way to make the playoff as a two-loss team. So can you imagine a scenario where no SEC team gets in? It's not impossible, right? It's not impossible to see Georgia take the pressure off themselves now that they've got the division locked up and they drop a game. Because even in that scenario, they know they absolutely can go to the playoff. But all of a sudden, you get into the conference title game and you, even if Georgia went undefeated into the conference title game, if they lose to a two-loss A&M team, that doesn't carry the same weight as like, oh, you losing to a one-loss playoff-bound Alabama team. And depending on what's going on in the country, that could still maybe keep them out. It depends. So the SEC is very interesting. Very interesting. Of course, there's still the possibility, the more likely scenario of Alabama playing an undefeated Georgia and a lot of people think that could get two SEC teams in if Alabama wins that game. We'll see. So the SEC race is super exciting. A, a few different crazy scenarios, a lot to pay attention to. The Big 12 just got a lot more exciting, guys. I'm telling you right now. The Big 12, let's look at that for a second. You've got Oklahoma, who seems like your favorite. They're 7-0, 4-0 in conference. Right behind them, though, is Oklahoma State, who is also 6-0, playing great defense, by the way, in this conference that's known for offense. They're 3-0 in conference. They already have a win over Baylor, who is ranked number 20 after a big win over BYU. And Baylor's sitting there at 6-1, 3-1 overall. Okay. Iowa State, you still feel like they can make some noise. They could up, I mean, Iowa State's four and two, right? After the Iowa loss, a lot of people wrote them off. Then they dropped another one. But Iowa State's sitting there. They're four and two. You have a feeling they might mess things up for somebody going forward. They might get a Baylor, an Oklahoma State, maybe a Texas. Texas is four and three. Texas Tech is five and two. They've already played Texas. You know, they got to play. So the Big 12 is a little more top-heavy than I think we gave it credit for. And there's some teams playing some good football. Like, even TCU is a respectable football team. They were able to – they made some plays on Oklahoma. They got some receivers. They got some guys. Big 12 is, is more competitive this year than I think it has been before. This isn't another year of Oklahoma being the best with the best offense we've ever seen and everybody else only playing offense and no defense and a bunch of crazy shootouts. I mean, you watched that Oklahoma State-Texas game, and it, it was a battle. Texas played good. Texas has good players, and I think they are on their way back. They're not there yet this year, obviously, but they have some guys. B. John Robinson, probably the best running back in the country. Some really great young receivers. And you saw what they did to Oklahoma. Oklahoma State's defense had other plans. Right? They they made plays and they beat Texas by playing defense. And it'll be interesting to see if, if the conference comes down to an Oklahoma State Oklahoma game to see that defense versus that offense. Now the crazy thing about the Big Twelve is you're gonna get a rematch of some sort in the championship game. Whether Oklahoma and Oklahoma State have to play again, which means they'd be playing twice in two weeks, in which case if you're gonna split, you'd rather win the second game, right? Baylor starts to play Oklahoma. Baylor plays okay defense too. They're being coached well. So the Big 12 is very interesting. And they got two undefeated teams right now. A team with one loss. Technically, all three of those teams totally alive for the playoff. You win the Big 12 at 12-1. and one, You've got a really good chance at going to the playoff. So Big 12, kind of surprising us here and being really exciting. Especially considering the fact Texas has kind of fallen off. They're out of probably the conference race unless some insane things happen. And they're definitely out of the playoff race with three overall losses. But the Big 12 has stepped up in some other areas. Oklahoma State, a little surprising. Baylor, playing pretty good. Iowa State had a rough start. They were one of the favorites, but they have a chance to, you know, finish strong in this conference also. They, they could easily win the conference. You know, if they went out, they get the wins they need to. So Big 12, exciting. Now the Big 10 is where things are getting really, really exciting. To me, the Big Ten is, is, the, is the best conference to watch this year, especially they did some really cool things with scheduling because, you know, in the, the Big Ten East, you've got Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State all ranked in the top 10. Ohio State's fifth right now at 5-1. and one. 
Michigan is six. They're six and zero. Penn State is seven, five and zero, five and one, and Michigan State's undefeated right now. None of those teams have played each other yet, and the way the scheduling works is starting not this upcoming week, but next week we're going to get two of those matchups: Penn State and Ohio State. That's an eliminator because they each already have one loss. That same week we're going to get Michigan State, Michigan which is huge, but that's only going to be that team's first loss. So whoever loses that game can technically bounce back, would be able to get wins over Ohio State and Penn State. That division is going to be crazy. Now, is someone going to come out on top of that division with just one loss or, or undefeated? Or what if they completely beat each other up? And okay, then you got the West. Iowa, who was undefeated, number two, is now 11. They're six and one. Iowa, is above Minnesota, who's 2-1. Then Purdue is 2-1. Purdue could win this division because Purdue's 4-2 overall. Purdue has head-to-head over Iowa. If Purdue beats Wisconsin and Iowa beats Minnesota, then Purdue could be sitting on top of this of this division. Now, you feel like Purdue's the type of team that's... You know, they could lose this week. I think they're playing Wisconsin. But Purdue... They're sitting there at four and two, and now that they have a win over Iowa, their losses are only two. I think they lost to Minnesota last week, respectable, and they lost to Notre Dame, who's a pretty good football team. So the loss for Iowa is not as bad as it felt in the moment because now Purdue's ranked 25th. They're sitting there at four and two. Like I said, kind of like Alabama and the A&M loss. Like, I think A&M is better than Purdue for a couple of reasons, but... It's not that those losses are in completely different stratospheres. So Big Ten getting really interesting. And I still think there's, we we probably lost the scenario of two Big Ten teams making the playoff because that would have required, you know, probably Iowa to go undefeated. So that interesting scenario where I didn't want people to be hypocritical, that situation's probably abandoned us. But we're still totally alive to have a Big Ten championship game between two one-loss teams or, or one. There could be one undefeated, right? Technically, Michigan and Michigan State. I guess I misspoke. They're undefeated right now. Michigan or Michigan State technically has the opportunity to win out. It's a daunting task, especially given the fact that Michigan and Michigan State especially haven't looked elite like they're capable of that. And you got to go through the top three teams in your division. All those teams do. But it's technically possible, and we still could have that weird scenario where maybe Michigan goes into the Big Ten Championship game undefeated. Iowa comes in with one loss. Maybe Iowa gets that win, okay? Now you're back to that scenario I described last week where Georgia and Alabama, right? Everybody's arguing that that could be two teams in. If that could be two teams in, you'd have to say the same thing about the Big Ten in that scenario. We'll see. Most likely what we're going to have is a one. whoever comes out of the Big Ten East, I expect them to have one loss, whether it's Ohio State rallying through, but they already have lost to Oregon, whether it's Penn State because they already have a loss. Even if Michigan or Michigan State end up on top, you could see them dropping one game to these three opponents, right? Michigan State's got to go through Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. You can say the same for all of them, right? They all have to play each other, so we'll see. The scary thing for Penn State and Ohio State is they already have one loss each. They cannot afford to lose again if they want to make the playoff, that is. So basically, we're in a position where college football is in a beautiful spot because we are in late October and all the conference races are super exciting. You've got a group of five team that's threatening in Cincinnati, ranked number two in the country right now. That's insane. Great for them. By the way, their conference is looking a little interesting. You've got an undefeated 6-0 SMU team that's going to play Cincinnati pretty soon, I believe. Maybe not not this week, I don't think, but next week or, or sometime really soon. Most likely they could rematch. That could give Cincinnati the chance to get two more ranked wins. Especially, I mean, that's what Cincinnati really needs right now to really beef up their resume. They've already got the two Power 5 wins, a Notre Dame win on the road. That's going to look really good, especially as Notre Dame continues to win. And if SMU, SMU's already ranked. So assuming SMU keeps winning, they're going to be ranked when they play Cincinnati the first time. 
And then the best thing that could happen to Cincinnati after that would be to rematch and play a, a ranked SMU team once again and give them their second loss. That's going to give Cincinnati three ranked wins, the two power five wins. Would that be enough to get them in the playoff? I think, I don't know if it's an automatic, right? I still think every power five, one loss conference champion is is going to get in over them. So if you're Cincinnati, you need as many two loss conference championships as possible and you got to obviously run the table you got to hope that you have these good games against smu but the opportunity is there right they can only control what they can control they're dominating opponents right now that's another thing that a lot of people think they need to do so again we're sitting here and college football is wide open yes we can we can still predict that hey at the end of the day it could still be Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, a lot more of the same. But there's opportunity for a lot of teams here to take big steps. Will they be able to do it? I don't know. But either way, it's going to be fun to watch. And even if Bama and Ohio State find their way back in the playoff, at least they had to come from behind and make it happen, and it would be impressive. And they're going to have to go through some pretty serious things to make that happen. We will see. That's all I have for today. I'll probably do another show on Thursday, talk a little bit more about some of this midweek stuff and some of the matchups coming up and what that means big picture-wise. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Enjoy your Monday.